Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Discover the power within. UnityOnlineRadio.org The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and we're going to return today to our discussion of the question, is it possible to change your destiny? And and what might yoga have to say about that and have to do with that? Once again, I'm delighted to be joined by the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Yogacharya O'Brien is an acclaimed teacher, poet, an award-winning author and minister who has served seekers of spiritual enlightenment from all walks of life for over 40 years. She's the recipient of the 2021 New Thought Walden Award for Interfaith and Intercultural Understanding. She has published several books, including her most recent book, The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. We are currently celebrating a year-long series of Yoga Yatra, or Divine Pilgrimage, programs to honor the 40th anniversary of Yogacharya's ministry ordination and the founding of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, which is the um, sponsor of this show. A teacher in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, Yogacharya O'Brien serves people from all faith backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization or awakening. Yogacharya is the spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in San Jose, California. You can find out more about her books and online programs at the websites ellengraceobrien.com and csecenter.org. You can also follow her on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching for Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome, Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm really, really delighted to be able to continue this discussion with you today. Thank you, Dr. Trujillo. It's a joy to be back, and um, my greetings to the listeners of Yoga Hour, and may this uh, hour today be Um, uplifting and um, encouraging and enlightening. Mm. So before we dive into our dialogue about changing our destiny using the tools of yoga, let's, let's begin with a yoga moment, a moment of present moment awareness. So let's begin right where we are, right here and right now, letting go of anything that happened earlier today, 
letting go of any concern about what might happen later on and just being present here and now, bringing our attention to our body and space, just noticing our body, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or standing or walking, and particularly feeling the surfaces that support our weight and whatever parts of our body are in touch with those surfaces. And then taking a moment to bring our attention to our breath as we take a fully conscious breath, noticing the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, really paying attention to the cool air in the nostrils and perhaps on the back of the throat. And on the exhale, feeling how the air has been warmed as it passed through our lungs. Continuing to focus on the breath, here's something to contemplate, a teaching from Yogacharya O'Brien from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Suffering can result from believing the stories we tell ourselves about the way things are. Our thoughts and the stories they weave are a product of the mind. They give us only a partial view of life, not the bigger picture. Step out of the story and see. Once again, Yogacharya O'Brien, it's just delightful to have you on the show and to return to our discussion about how we can change our destiny using yoga teachings. It's been a pleasure for me to dive a bit more deeply into the Yoga Sutras with you. And for listeners who've missed the first part of our discussion, it happened just a few weeks ago on February 17th and is available on our website at theyogahour.com or wherever you get your podcasts. In that conversation a few weeks ago, Yogacharya, we we spoke about samskaras, those repetitive patterns in the mind that then can be triggered again in the future when we're in a similar circumstance. We mentioned that samskaras can be both positive and negative. We also spoke about the obstacles to liberation, which are set forth in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, which are called the kleshas, the primary one of which is avidya or ignorance. So let's start with the samskaras. How has this yoga teaching about samskaras or repetitive patterns in the mind been helpful in your own life? Thanks so much for making this program possible. Um, And first, uh, I want to say, um, you know, I think it's useful for us to return to this topic. And for those who are just tuning into this episode, you know, it's such an important question you know, what is destiny? You know, what do we think it is? And, um, you know, I think I shared in the last program that one spiritual teacher defined destiny as, you know, uh, what we say was meant to happen um, after it happens. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which, which is sort of great. But, you know, often destiny is, is defined as our fate, you know, what is fated. And uh, so with regard to your 
question about, you know, learning about the yoga teachings about sanskaras, the patterns in the subconscious mind, um, how has that been helpful in my own life? I would say we could, you know, go right to the topic and say it really has helped me see that it is possible to change uh, our destiny, if you will, or I like to think of it as the trajectory of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, you know, as the sages describe it, you know, prior to awakening, prior to knowing, you know, what we are as spiritual beings and how the world operates, um, most of us were sleepwalking, you know, meaning walking through the world, looking like we're awake, thinking we're awake, but not actually present. You know, we're in our minds um, thinking about the past or the future and the rumination um, through the circular patterns in the mind um, keeps us in that um sleepwalking state and then choices coming out of that. So our life is moving um, in a particular direction that, um, you know, has its roots in past uh, experience um, versus uh, being able to follow a course in life that is um, illuminated, you know, by the truth of our being and also the ability to see more clearly um, what the factors are, you know, in our experience. So for me, it's like uh, night and day, you know, and I look back at my life at that experience of uh, sleepwalking. (laughs) I have compassion for that young woman, you know, trying to make life work, but really caught up in um, the patterns in the mind, you know, old experiences. That's, you know, we often go to therapy and try to figure those out, which can be helpful. Um, But yoga, in a sense, is the ultimate therapy um, to help us, get out of weaving those patterns in the mind and see through them so that we can begin to live in a higher way and we can begin to live with freedom. So that's how it was for me, sort of like walking through life asleep. Um, There's a gradual, gradual experience of waking up and seeing, you know, more clearly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, this question of samskaras is, is so interesting. And as I've been reflecting on this topic about destiny, when you think about destiny, sometimes, as you mentioned, we think about it as a fate, something that's fated to happen. And yet, when I think about samskaras, I think about how my samskara will ensure that the next time I'm faced with a certain circumstance that I've that I've experienced before and I have a samskara about it, that my response is destined in a way to happen, that I will, I'm destined to respond to that circumstance again, because of that track, that pattern that's been laid down in, in, in my mental field. And so it is possible to change those. I know because I actually have, you know, I have had that experience of meeting an, an, uh, circumstance that I've met before and, and wanting, for example, to respond a certain way, being triggered into anger is a really 
classic example probably mm-hmm. but then being able to have that that space where i can choose a different a different response mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and the the yogis sort of use the example of um you know the mental field being uh compared to the uh you know the base uh of a lake for example and the the thought activities you know the that that are uh, that create the samskaras, you know, moving in a certain pattern that that um, that create grooves, you know, in the um, base of the of the lake, and that you know once that groove is created, it it then <laughs> will instigate the waves flowing in a certain way. So it it will perpetuate itself, which is what mm-hmm. you're saying. So first. Mm-hmm there are the patterns that make the groove in the base of the lake. And then once the groove is there, the groove actually then um, affects the wave activity itself. So Mm -hmm. we have the thought, we have the experience. um, It um, creates a groove in the mental field, but then that groove in the mental field actually um, uh, directs the thought activity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think last time you were talking about it in the way of why is it that when I want to change something, I can't change something or it's difficult to change something. And why is it that I keep doing things that I really don't want to do? <laughs> and that is just just exactly what you've been describing. It's that it's that groove in the in the mental field that's directing our behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once we can see that. Um, you know, that's really powerful. And, you know, so many of the religious and spiritual traditions um, do shine a light on that. You know, you you can see that, you know, it's a question asked in the Bhagavad Gita. It's also there in the Christian Bible. You know, why do I do, you know, what I would not and so on and so forth. And, And there's different approaches to it. You know, in some traditional religious ways, you know, there is, of course, uh, prayer, and there's also, you know, various forms of surrender um, that that are useful, you know, in terms of breaking up those patterns or faith, you know, all of those things are, are part, if we look at it, you know, through that light of understanding patterns in the mind and how to overcome them. But I particularly liked, um, was attracted to, and still am fascinated by the scientific nature of yoga, um, that you can become uh, a researcher, you know, of your own mind. And in fact, you, you need to. So it's, it's not simply, you know, faith alone, which is really powerful. And, uh, and of course, sometimes, you know, grace can do everything for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that we have this opportunity to really understand how the mind works, which is what Yoga Sutras shows us, that that shows us how we can um, begin to change the patterns in the mind and ultimately um, find liberation from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, the the Yoga Sutras are quite remarkable in that way as a description of our of how our mind works. It's really <laughs> quite remarkable to think about how long ago they were written and uh, they of course still are so true today. We're still <laughs> studying yeah. them deeply today after yeah. 
because several hundred you, years. When you think about it, you know, of course, truth is truth and consciousness is consciousness and that's eternal. It doesn't change. And so, you know, the, the Rishis who were writing all those years ago, it was the same consciousness that we're experiencing today. Consciousness right. is unchanging. And the way the mind works, you know, as an instrument is unchanging. So those two principles of uh, consciousness and nature, um, they're eternal. And, you know, kleshas are eternal. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're what make worldly experience possible. Mm-hmm. And they're also the obstacle to samadhi, to finding liberation for the world from the world. So it's a it's a paradoxical thing about the path that you know about life that that the obstacles we we could not have the experience of the world without the obstacles, mm-hmm. and yet in order to find liberation from. Uh, potential entrapment in the world, we have to um, mitigate and uh, go beyond those uh, clashes, which, you know, are obstacles. <laughs> so right. there are possibilities <laughs> and there are obstacles all at the same, all at the same mm-hmm. time. Turning to a few different sutras that we're going to really focus on today, your teacher, Roy Eugene Davis, who was a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, translates Patanjali's Yoga Sutra 2.1 as intensive self-discipline, studious self-inquiry, and surrender to God are the practices of Kriya Yoga. Mr. Davis also then translates Sutra 2.2 as Kriya Yoga is practiced to weaken and eliminate all obstacles to self and God realization. These are from his book, The Science of Self-Realization. We are going to talk about the three practices of Kriya Yoga in a bit, but I wanted to start with 2.2, which explains the reasons why or the reason why we should practice Kriya Yoga. You've described that we practice Kriya Yoga to both remove the primary obstacles, which we've been talking about, and to make samadhi possible. As we've mentioned, the primary obstacle to self and God realization is avidya or ignorance of our true nature. So perhaps we should start with samadhi. What is samadhi? And then we'll turn to how does Kriya Yoga help us to remove obstacles to experience samadhi? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so first, that uh, definition of Kriya Yoga in the second Pada's second chapter of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras actually begins with um, defining Kriya Yoga um, as um, the purpose of it as uh, to make possible the attaining of samadhi mm-hmm. um, by um, reducing the afflictions or in the obstacles, what gets in the way of it. So it's that two-part um, thing that you've mentioned, um, and you know, it's understood in my teacher's definition of uh, Kriya Yoga as, you know, uh, being practiced to weaken and remove the obstacles to self and God realization. Um, it's it's understood in there, but I think it's helpful to raise it up and say the purpose of Kriya Yoga is to attain samadhi. <laughs> that is number one, is to attain samadhi, and we can talk about why that's so important. Um, and as a part of that, it is to remove um, the obstacles 
that um, are in the way of that. So what is samadhi? Um, samadhi means to bring together completely. Um, and my teacher would say that refers to bringing our attention and our awareness to uh, consciously uh, focus on that which is being examined in meditation, which could be an object of contemplation, inner uh, objects, inner light, inner sound, and, and becoming one with that. Um, or the higher samadhi, um, which is not supported by a subjective perceptions um, or any kind of um, subtle experiences is just the um, the merging with our essence of being, our pure existence being. So those are, in a sense, called the lower and higher samadhis, you know, because one still has a, a sense of separate self that is the mm-hmm. observer and the higher samadhi, nirvikalpa samadhi, is without that even subtle sense of separation, like I am observing this. And the purpose of samadhi, of course, is to remove that klesha of um, I I am this or that, you know, asmita, to go beyond that sense and to know through direct experience, you know, that which we are. So did I answer your question? Yes, absolutely. I think we got to what what is samadhi, <laughs> and and um, how does kriya yoga then help us to remove obstacles? Because we're going to talk more detail um, in a few minutes after the break about those three practices we talked about about self discipline, self study, and and self surrender. How does that help us to remove these obstacles? Well, you know, as I mentioned um, just a few minutes ago, it's I have, I have found it so helpful to uh, understand, you know, what is meant by Kriya Yoga as the science of self-realization. Mm. You know, that's that's the title of my teacher's book. And, you know, when I came to the path, you know, there was a wide chasm between what I thought of as science and what I thought of as spirituality. You know, they, you know, in our culture, in Western culture, those two don't live together mm-hmm. because, you know, science is about things you can measure and spirituality, in a sense, is about things you cannot measure. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. you know, that was really interesting to me. Like, how could this be called a science? Um, well, it's called a science because in the uh, Indian philosophical systems, subjective experiences included in that realm, you know, what you can know. And now, of course, physics is showing us that too, right? You know, that just the the observer will actually um, uh, impact what is being observed. And so, exactly. you know, the the Indian uh, philosophers, rishis knew that. <laughs> and so that's 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 in, contained in in the system. So, um, you know, how does Kriya Yoga help us remove obstacles? Well, it gives us this scientific approach so we can have a step by step understanding of what it is. You know, first we understand what it is and then how to do it. Um, I think I would just say here for the purpose of this conversation that, of course, one of the things we learn in yoga is about the qualities of nature and how those qualities of nature affect the mental field, either with heaviness or restlessness or uh, illumination. 
And what we're looking for in order to experience samadhi is uh, changing that, what I call it, changing the climate of the mental field is sort of like removing the, the darkness of Thomas Guna, removing the restlessness of Rajas Guna, and bringing in more sattva guna, more principle of light, because this then allows, you know, the mind to become still enough for us to experience samadhi. So these um, disciplines of Kriya Yoga are really about bringing more illumination, um, more serenity into the mental field. And I'm sure we'll talk specifically about each one, but that's kind of the, the big thing that we're up to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it is one thing to have those experiences in meditation, that experience of oneness, the direct experience of our essence of being. And it's another thing to bring that experience fully into our lives. And that <laughs> that is um, the process that takes a little while. So we have just about um, a minute and a half or so before break. Would you want to say anything about that process of, of living our realizations? Well, that's kind of exciting, isn't it? You know, it, it's sort of back to <clears throat> learning um, not to separate uh, spirit and nature. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because yoga is about discerning the distinction between the two, and yet... We are both body, mind, well, and of course, spirit, our essence of being. So it's learning how to live in the world freely with awareness by not becoming um, identified with the body-mind complex. You know, that's the simple version of it. But of course, it's not easy um, because we, we engage with the world generally from an egoic um, perspective, you know, like who we think we are, what we think we're up to. So yoga is about, you know, disentangling that um, viewpoint to that perspective. That is really all what yoga is about, you know, getting over ourselves in that sense. <laughs> That's great. Well, we we titled these two episodes Change Your Destiny. And I think it's not too big a stretch to say that if we are able to remove the primary obstacles, experience our essential nature, really know that, then that process would indeed change our destiny. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with author, poet, and spiritual teacher, Yogacharya O'Brien. We are discussing the wisdom of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Yogacharya offers many online classes and programs. You can check out at her website, ellengraceobrien.com, and also at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment website, csecenter.org. We will also have these links on our website, theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website at theyogahour.com. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. 
You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour Insights and Practices for Spiritually Conscious Living. Welcome back from the break. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and I'm here with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Yogacharya, as I mentioned above, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra 2.1 lists the three practices of Kriya Yoga as translated by your teacher, Roya Jean Davis, as intensive self-discipline, studious self-inquiry, and surrender to God are the practices of Kriya Yoga. Let's take those one by one. How do you describe the first one, self-discipline, which in Sanskrit is tapas? How do you describe that for your students? Uh, well, first I would say in my teacher's definition where he says intensive self-discipline, um, he would always clarify that by intensive, he didn't mean um, you know asceticism. You know, mm-hmm. he, he didn't mean forceful. Um, he meant focused, mm. and he was such a beautiful example of that. His whole life you know, focused, which is how, you know, I mean, one of the explanations of how he accomplished what he accomplished in his lifetime, because he was very focused. And that's one of the blessings of having a guru, because you get to see what it looks like. So what does self-discipline look like? And he wasn't a rigid individual. He, He wasn't rigid about discipline, but he was absolutely, he was intensive because he was intensely focused. He mm-hmm. didn't waste time. He didn't waste money. He didn't waste food. You know, the things that yogis say, you know, didn't, and those are really essential. So that in it, when we look at intensive self-discipline, it's really about not wasting your life. And it's about living a purposeful life, a life of higher purpose, and then arranging, you know, conditions in your life you know, your schedule, um, what you're involved in, the choices that you make to support your decision to live a dharmic life, to Mm -hmm. support living with higher purpose. Otherwise, you get carried away in the currents of life. And before you know it, you're at the end of your incarnation and you say, you know, whoops, I should, I should have been more intentional. So yogis, this, this tapas is about living intentionally. And the reason for tapas for self-discipline is the purification of the body mind, Mm. purification of the body, physical body and subtle body. So, and again, we come back to that, you know, the first sutra, which is that Kriya Yoga is practiced in order to experience samadhi. Why? Because samadhi is a path to direct experience um, that liberates, that completely, um, well, first, you know, uh, has you realize what the kleshas are, then, you know, attenuates them so that they are no longer um, active. So mm-hmm. Samadhi is the route 
to that to, to and that's why it's a route to liberation so you know self-discipline is essential to that you know changing the way that we've been living so we're not you know producing more samskaras that take us further into um conditioned living so we're it's moving us towards freedom so this is about the as the first um practice tapas is about purification mm. of the mind and the body the subtle body um, making samadhi possible because samadhi is not possible in a in a mind that's filled with thomas guna heaviness or rajas guna restlessness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i believe you just answered what was going to be my next question which is why is self-discipline always listed first mm-hmm. of the of the three disciplines of, of kriya yoga is mm-hmm. that it's necessary to uh pure for that purification of the body and mind and not purification perhaps how people think of that but purification in terms of the gunas in terms of this thomas guna this heaviness or rajas guna this restlessness that are mental states there's a beautiful poem by uh, Rilke. There's I can't remember the whole poem, but the but the crux line in it is this realization that comes through loud and clear. Um, you must change your life. Mm. And you know, for those of us who are intent on the path of Kriya Yoga or uh, enlightened uh, teaching, we have that call. We know that you must change your life. You know, the way that you have lived up to the time that you embark upon this path, you have the realization that um, it's it's not going to bring you the kind of happiness or insight that you need uh, to live your life in a higher way and to be able to change your destiny. Mm-hmm. So you have that realization, you must change your life. Well, how do you do that? The first step is um, turning your attention and your awareness around, you know, and beginning to change um, the patterns uh, in your life. Mm. The second practice, the second uh, thing that is mentioned in the sutra is then self-inquiry. So self-discipline, self-inquiry which in Sanskrit is svadhyaya and includes both study of our own mental processes as well as study of scripture. Why are each of these important, both the study of our own mental processes and the study of scripture in this practice of svadhyaya or self-inquiry? Well, yoga, one of the things I always have appreciated about it is that there's an emphasis on not only faith in terms of reading the scriptures and what we can learn from the awakened sages, but um, that you a person has to have their own experience. It has to be verified in your experience. So that's why study is is two part like that. So you read, um, but that's in a sense unless you have some kind of graceful. Uh, insight which can happen through study of scripture and study of the lives of the masters Um, but generally it's at the intellectual level or level of intuitive perception which are both um, connected you know to the mind to the mental field and yoga ultimately liberation is the uh, experience of direct perception that is not filtered through 
the mental field, which contains that sense of separate self. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, yoga has an emphasis on having your own direct experience. So you study, you learn what the map is, you learn what the mind is about, you learn what the obstacles are, you observe them in your life, and you apply the medicine uh, of self-discipline and self-study, and you begin to see how things change, and then you adjust your um, your practices. It's a fabulous path. And I want to say that um, the other benefit of study that is really important for devotees is that, um, at least has been my experience, um, it enhances our desire for self-realization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so you kind of have to first, you have to clarify your mind a bit to, you know, calm down and, and have a steadier life so that you're not so distracted that you can't even study. But when you begin to study, um, there's a, you know, there's a flame in you that brought you to the path. And when you study and you study deeply, it that reading the the scriptures and the teachings and the lives of the saints fans that flame in us that that deep desire for liberation for self-realization and we want it so we're motivated through our study at least that's been my experience mm-hmm. i really appreciated the description that you gave of study of scriptures to provide a map because that's been my experience too. When you read about things, read about certain states, read about um, experiences of, of others, then when you have an experience, it really helps you put it into contents, uh, context. And I, I've had that experience where I'll be have a meditate, deep meditative experience and I'll say, oh, that's what that meant. <laughs> so being having that experience of finding it on the map and then as you said just having an intellectual experience but then having the the actual direct experience mm-hmm. myself and and having the prior map then help me make sense of it so that's that's been really helpful for me the third practice of kriya yoga is surrender to god or in sanskrit ishvara pranidhan how do you describe self-surrender Well, in the simplest way, you know, <laughs> I, I describe it as uh, letting go of struggle that arises from the idea of separate self. Um, I mean, that's not the only way to describe it, but that's a very simple way to look at it, that our dramas, you know, our, our struggles, and even, you know, what we think of as our triumphs, um are related to the idea of uh, egoic self. And uh, so self-surrender is <clears throat> is letting go of that limited sense of self. And that's what yoga is really about. Um, y- you know, we, we progress from the idea that we're the body uh, or even the manas or the thoughts that are in the mind because we can observe those but 
you know, what remains until we are fully liberated is somehow the idea that consciousness, which is reflected in buddhi, in the discernment aspect of the mental field, we sometimes, you know, carry that um, klesha, uh, that that obstacle, that consciousness is, con- that, that we are that consciousness is confined to that cognitive um ability so you know it's raised up from the idea that we're the mind or you know we're the body or we're the thinking mind but the last one to go is that we are that um faculty of discernment you know that that mm-hmm. that that we are the that, that we are the thinker of the thought mm-hmm. um so that's that's the last part, you know, to be released and uh, from that confined sense of uh, separate self identity, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we talk about that as surrender of the separate self, sometimes it feels to me like the worry about that is that you're surrendering something and you'll end up with nothing. But when you're actually having these experiences, you actually, my experience at least is I'm more than that. And so it's easier to let go of the smaller self to experience more of the, the larger true self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, you can certainly think of it as um, expanding of awareness. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I, often think of meditation, you know, that when we meditate, uh, we're opening our conscious awareness, uh, expanding it, you know, beyond the mental field, beyond that uh, confined sense of a separate self-identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the thing about surrender as a practical practice um, is that it it contributes to the mind becoming quiet you know I talked about letting go of the struggle so a lot of times you know what's what's making the mind spin around is worry fear lust greed you know all those things that are connected to the egoic self so surrender uh, is a process of letting go, uh, expanding our sense of self, you know, that we're, um, we're not that, you know, we're not confined to that, that we live and move and have our being in, you know, absolute reality. And that helps to, um, helps us chill, you know, it helps mm. to calm the worried mind, you know, cause we can look and we can see, well, what is the what is at the root of my worry? Well, what's at the root of my worry or my fear um, or my wanting, um, you know, is, is uh, avidya, is asmita, are those kleshas, the idea of separate self. It's that that is afraid or that wants. And so, you know, surrender brings forth, you know, more, again, more light into the mental field and, um, helps us have a calm mind, which then makes the experience of um, what we really are possible. So you can kind of see how Kriya Yoga works. It's very practical. 
Mm-hmm. I hope it sounded practical. <laughs> it did. It did to me. I wanted to turn now to another sutra that I think is really important, and, and you actually, I think, made a pretty good segue there. Raging Davis translates Patanjali's Yoga Sutra 1.12 as the troublesome influences of mental impressions should be restrained, weakened, and removed by meditation practice and dispassionate non-attachment. So the two things that he are really focusing on here in 1.12 are, are the practice of meditation and then dispassionate non-attachment. You have emphasized the importance not just of meditation practice, but of steady meditation practice. Why is steady meditation practice so important? Well, with steady meditation practice and in meditation practice period with regard to uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and what my teacher was referring to, we're, we're talking about super conscious meditation, meaning you know, meditation that is uh, directed beyond um, the mental field. Um, So that's helpful to know. It's not just meditation like listening to a relaxation tape, but it is a systematic form of meditation that is intended um, to... Uh, purify the mental field so that the thought activity um, is is controlled or resolved back into its origins, and we can then have that direct experience of our essence of being. So it is that form of meditation, and that's why Kriya Yoga um, is, I, I guess I could say, popular or why people seek it out, because Paramahansaji taught very specific techniques for superconscious meditation and my mm-hmm. teacher too. And of course I teach them as well. Um, and if you sincerely practice these Kriya yoga techniques, you can actually experience the mental field becoming quiet. And that allows you to have that direct experience of your essence of being. And that direct experience is what um, purifies the mental field mm. and allows you to then um, discern um, that what you are is not that egoic self, is not the body mind. You know, you have the direct experience of that. And repeated steady practice of meditation over time um, purifies the mental field. So it's not just one experience of superconscious meditation, but it is you know, repeated experiences of it. And the the yogis, you know, sometimes talk about it like dyeing a cloth. You know, if you want to get the the deep color, you have to dip it several times. (laughs) 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 Or we could, you know, make it the reverse of a metaphor. If you want to clean something, you have to, you know, wash it several times and, and dip it into the water and scrub it and dip it again. And so okay. it, it's like that with the mental field. Why? Because the samskaras are rooted in um, the, the kleshas, the, the thoughts um, that are driving our destiny, if you will, are, are driving further thoughts and further choices and behaviors are rooted in the mental field. And so these have to be um, cleansed or purified uh, 
through regular practice of meditation. So it's so that the the primary obstacle can be dislodged. That's the goal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Earlier in the conversation, and also last time, you mentioned this this idea of that meditation changes the climate of the mind, and I, I really love that as as a description. The other practice mentioned besides meditation in Sutra One Twelve is dispassionate non-attachment. And the reason I thought this, you had just given a, a segue is you were talking about that a little bit about how we, you know, we we cling on to our own ideas, for example, of what should happen. Um, and, and, we, and that's what we have an opportunity to then let go of. So did you want to comment further on that dispassionate non-attachment? Well, again, both of these practices go back to Uh, bringing more sattvic influence into the mental field. And so um, dispassionate non-attachment is cultivating a meditative consciousness uh, in action, you know, in in the world. Um, And it's our ability to observe it's enhancing our ability to be uh, a conscious observer instead of a um, reactive participant. Um, so we develop uh, more illumination in the mental field by um, strengthening our role as conscious observer. So instead of um, the knee-jerk reaction to a samskara, we observe what arises in the mental field, but we have a pause mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. before we make the decision to say what's on our mind or to make a choice. And we do just a momentary pause, but it's that pause is actually sattva. That mm-hmm. pause is actually illumination in the mental field. Mm-hmm. And what, what's happening then is we're restraining the um, samskaras. And then we have that ability to make a different choice if we want to. And that weakens if we make a different choice than a reactive habitual pattern that we know is not useful, then you know, not only is it restrained, but it is weakened because we begin to create a new um, groove. Um, that's how we change the contents of the mind. Um, we make a new groove. You know, a new habit uh, is is created. Mm-hmm. Uh, and new neural pathways are opened up, you know, so mm-hmm. it's, it's related to how the brain operates as well. Um, but then ultimately this all the patterns are removed through the experiences of the highest samadhi Mm. and with that we've come to the end of the program but we have another minute in closing what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners Thank you for this time and thank you for everyone who's listening and for your practice, which makes such a positive difference in our world. I like to think about a world um, full of uh, science yogis um, who are, you know, working to understand this uh, beautiful life that we are living, you know, and how to be in the world in a conscious way 
uh, so that we can make a positive, uplifting contribution. The world so needs that today. And so um, I offer my love and blessings and gratitude to you all. Thank you. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. And I've been here with Yogacharya O'Brien discussing how the tools of yoga can help us to change our destiny. Yogacharya O'Brien is celebrating a year-long series of yoga yatra programs or divine pilgrimage programs to honor the 40th anniversary of her ministry ordination and the founding of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. You can find out more details about that on the websites ellengraceobrien.com and csecenter.org. Thank you so much, Yogacharya O'Brien, for joining me again today on the show. Thank you, Dr. Trujillo. It's been a pleasure. For listeners, we hope you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, including daily meditation twice a day in the morning from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. in the afternoon from 4 to 4.30 p.m., also on Monday evenings at 7.30 p.m. There's also Sunday satsang every week. All the times that I've mentioned are Pacific time and Sunday satsang is at 10. On this coming Sunday, March 12, 2022, Yoga Charya O'Brien will be offering the second of a satsang series of the five elements entitled Water. The supreme good is like water. Cultivate humility, perseverance, and flow. If you miss it on Sunday, March 12th, you can also access it on her website, ellengraceobrien.com, as well as the first satsang of the series, which was on Earth. Original intimacy, the living Earth has secrets to show us. Next time on the Yoga Hour, I will have a conversation with Eddie Stern, yoga teacher, author, and lecturer discussing the science of yoga, how the practices of yoga can override habitual responses to the world. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. You can remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy it, think about sharing an episode with a friend. Thank you to our founder, and my guest today, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, as well as Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at Unity Online Radio. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.